Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today. I am so glad that you're here. And I've been hearing from so many of you who have kids who are being bullied or have been bullied, and they are really struggling. And I've also heard from many of you whose kid is the bully and acting out in abusive ways towards others. And this has especially been on the rise since the pandemic. And this is a fascinating episode that you want to listen to. My special guest is Dr. Jennifer Fraser, who is the founder of The Bullied Brain. She is an award-winning teacher of 20 years, an international presenter, and a published author. And Dr. Fraser is here today to talk about her latest book, the bullied brain. Heal your scars and restore your health. And in this episode, she explains what we need to understand about how all forms of bullying and abuse affect our brains and how it affects our tweens and teens brains and how to help both the bullied and the bully heal. And so much of what she shares is extremely helpful. I was fascinated by what she shared. And it helps so much to explain different behaviors that our kids are exhibiting right now, such as grades falling, trouble with problem solving, wanting to play video games 24-7, anxiety, skipping school. And if we want to support our kids to heal We need to understand the way the brain works and what we can do to help our kids. And here's a quote from Dr. Fraser. It appears that our bullying epidemic is not cured by blaming, shaming, and ostracizing. It is time for a revolution in how we think about and how we educate ourselves and children about bullying. It needs to be seen as a medical, not a moral problem, especially in childhood. It needs to be instantly identified. The perpetrator needs to be held accountable. Healing needs to begin. So on that note, let's dive in. Welcome, Jennifer, to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so thankful to be here. We are going to have a great conversation. You recently released the book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. And I had emailed you that I was just like my mouth, I couldn't read it fast enough, was like open with all the stuff that I was reading and how it made so much sense. So we're going to talk all about abuse, bullying, the brain. Uh, Let's jump in, though. I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about your background, what got you interested in the brain and and the science behind it. Well, okay, so my background is basically I have a Ph.D. in comparative literature. And so this is this book is my fourth book. And we were trained to take different kinds of lenses on the world, like economics and psychology or um, 
history and journalism or whatever we were that our training is to take these different discourses or ways of thinking and instead of leaving them in their silos we will pull them out we put them into a, an arena together and then we see what happens how does the conversation change when you actually put these expertise ideas and knowledge and so on and and perspective how does it change when they're in conversation and so with this latest book the bullied brain as, as we've just talked about briefly, I took neuroscience or brain science and neurobiology, how our brains are constructed in medicine, and I put them into the arena with bullying and abuse, which is a very unusual combination. I don't think anybody's really done it in depth before, certainly not in a book for people like ourselves that aren't scientists. Scientists talk to each other about this kind of stuff and they have an enormous amount of knowledge. It's just that it's not coming out of the laboratory and reaching people like ourselves. You know, people who are passionate about our children, for example, we want to know about our children's brains and we want to know about our brains. So that was, that's how the book began. Um, and there's two different reasons. I I became interested in neuroscience because of my son when he was eight. So I have two sons and my, my second son at eight years old, we were called into the school and the teacher said, you know, he's like off the charts when we're talking about books and his knowledge is unbelievable. But when he writes the test about the book and he can read it perfectly, he reads it out loud and his reading is perfect. But when he writes the test, he's just making answers up as if he's never read the book. So we were like, well, that's completely bizarre. So we took him to an educational psychologist. Educational psychologist did all this testing, and she found that he was a genius off the charts for auditory learning. But when it came to visual retention, so remembering text or images, he had less than 1% ability to do it. And, you know, I'm a, I've been a teacher for years. I taught for 20 years, and I know that that is not going to work very well in the school system today. So we put him into a specialized school and the specialized school was Eaton Aerosmith School and it was amazing. And they really work on cognitive strengthening. So instead of going in and saying, oh, well, we're going to give you accommodations because you've got this learning disability. They're like, well, we're going to do the best we can with the exercises that we have to train your brain, to strengthen the part, the, the visual retention part. We're going to try and strengthen that so that it's no longer an issue. So we went back to the educational psychologist after four years, and she said, I've never seen anything like this. She said, he doesn't have a learning disability anymore. And he's now 22, and he I've never seen anybody read so much in my life. He reads text, and he has like a photographic memory for it. So it goes to show, and I learned in that moment, watching my own son, I learned that we have neuroplasticity. All of us, until the last day we're on the planet, can change our brains. We can make them stronger by what we practice in the environments we're in, and we can make them weaker by the environments and the things that we practice. And that's just, it's just like our physical selves. We can sit on the couch and watch Netflix, who doesn't love doing that? Or we can go and exercise and get out there and get stronger and fitter and more flexible. It's really what we practice in the environments we put ourselves in. Same goes for the brain, which is, it's so empowering. But then cut to bullying and abuse, so my first son, um, the older brother of the little one, uh, he was, I guess he was 16 years old and he was away on a trip and another mom um, whose kid was on the trip contacted me directly. And she said, I'm getting these texts from my son and he's saying he can't take it anymore. He can't, he can't bear it. They're calling them. And I won't repeat the proper language here because it's so offensive, but you know, they're getting called effing retards, effing pussies, effing pathetic, effing embarrassments. And um, it wasn't students, it was the teachers. And my son was a particular target of that. So I'm a researcher, that's my training. So when the school tried to, it was this was during basketball and this the headmaster tried to say to me, oh, it's just old school coaching. I was like, really? And so I went and looked at what the research said, and the research says that type of treatment not only does devastating things to a child's um, psychology, their developing brain and their developing body, but it can last 
for a lifetime, and it does incredibly serious neurological damage to the actual architecture of the brain. You do not have to touch another person with aggression and threat and assault and violence to damage their brain. You can do it with your, your words. You can do it with emotional neglect. You can do it with withholding. So we all need to learn this. We all need to really realize how kids' brains are vulnerable. And so I just set, that's my mission. My mission is to get the science out there into the hands of all of us who need it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was so fascinating because when I was reading your book, I was like, this makes so much sense with the moms that I work with. That's kids have been bullied, especially during the pandemic. It just, it just seems like it's off the chart. I don't know if I'm just so much more aware of it because I'm working with more moms that are going through this um, with their kids, but their kids have shut down. They're struggling now with their grades, with depression, with anxiety, don't want to go to school. And you talk all about how it uh, impacts the brain. And I want you to talk about that a little bit. Like what are the, what actually happens? There's gray matter that the gray matter, right? in the brain is affected. So tell us, tell us what happens. Well, I mean, first of all, the brain is just ridiculously complex. It's the most complex thing on planet Earth. And at the same time, it's deeply entwined and comparable to other natural um, like creatures on the planet. In a sense, we're very, very much like animals and other types of natural creatures in the world. At the same time as our brains have this kind of, as we know, this this sophistication to it or complexity. So keeping those two things in mind, um, if we take a look at, a, let's look at a child, for example, that is starting to suffer from anxiety and a child that's starting to suffer from depression and perhaps a child that's being bullied. Um, and the bullying is so um, rampant in child populations right now, I think for a variety of reasons, which we can talk about. But so let's, if we looked at those brains what we would see is that um, like a bullied brain, for example, it might manifest and they're all unique. Every single one of us has a unique brain. It's as unique as our finger, our fingerprints. So <laughs> you never really want to generalize and say, oh, this is exactly what a brain would look like if it was being bullied. You just can't say that. All of us have different histories. Our brains are constructed in different ways. They're so unique. At the same time as for me in this to answer this, let's generalize. So let's, if, if you have a child's brain who's being bullied at school or, or abused by teachers as my son's um, situation was, um, they might have an enlarged amygdala. So the amygdala is the part of the brain that's, it's like a air traffic controller. It's like the threat detection system. It's designed to keep you safe. And it it really is constantly measuring what's going on around you, what the other people are doing, who the powerful people are. Is there a dog? Uh, is there lightning? It's always looking. So you can well imagine if a child goes to school and school is a creative, happy, supportive, nurturing, dynamic, fun place where they see their friends and they love their teachers. Well, the amygdala is like, phew, don't have to worry about school. School's a great place. I can actually stand down. Maybe I can give other parts of the brain um, more resources and, and more energy, like, like problem solving and concentration and doing great at grades and feeling confident and social emotional relationships. All that aspect of the brain's really getting all the energy. But if I'm afraid when I go to school, if I if my brain is predicting and anticipating which it does because survival is the number one thing for the brain. So if it is worried that there's going to be an unpredictable attack, cruelty, um, humiliation, uh, getting excluded, favoritism, it, neglect, um, an irate teacher who is you know, humiliating me, any of these kinds of things, then the brain, of course, it's going to be in a state of extreme anxiety and the amygdala is going to be on high alert. And when it's on high alert, of course, their grades are falling down because it doesn't, they, the problem solving, creativity, memory retention, concentration, 
those parts of the brain aren't getting the energy they need. It's all going into the threat detection system, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. It shuts down. It's just, yeah, you're like frozen. You can't, just like if you're an animal and there's danger and you, you're just, all you want to do is survive whatever it is. You're not open to, you know, expanding anything else because you're trying to survive. Okay. So that is the perfect comment because let's just build on that for one second. So when, when a child is going to school and let's say they're coming from a situation with caretakers or parents even, or siblings where there's a lot of bullying behaviors so that at home, they've already built up a great deal of um, pent up reaction. Their stress response system is on high alert. So one option is they go to school and they try to disappear. They freeze, they freeze at home. They don't want the sibling or the very, very critical parent. Critical parent thinks they're really teaching them how to be tough in a tough world. And that's how they were raised, who knows? But the kid goes into shutdown. So when they get to school or when they're at home, they're in a frozen state, right? They're paralyzed with anxiety about this. There's other options though. They might go into flight. The kid that goes into flight might might skip school, might connect up with some other kids in the neighborhood and go off and do something else. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to be there. They're in in an escapist mode. Maybe they go back into their room and all they do is play video games because they're in escape. They're in flight. And again, that's a very triggered um, anxiety. That's a very triggered stress response system in the body. And it's really, really, when it gets repeated like this, very unhealthy. Now, imagine the kid. So we've got freeze, natural animal response to save your life if you're a rabbit. We've got flight, really good choice if you're a zebra or a gazelle. You're going to run as fast as you can. You're going to get away from the danger. And then there's fight. Now, there's certain kids and certain adults that when their stress response system goes into hyperdrive, they start to abuse or bully. They get super aggressive because they're frightened. They are stressed, they are threatened, and that is the way they respond. Just like in the natural world, we've got a lot of predators out there that are going, like just think of a dog, even think of a cat. If you are standing over a cat and terrifying it, even though it's that much smaller than you, its fur will puff out, its claws will come out, it'll start hissing, it will threaten you. That's what a bully is doing. A bully is got, they've identified with the aggressor, they can't stand the feeling of vulnerability. They want to tap into power and they want to release it. But we don't teach kids that. We don't teach them that that's what's going on in the brain and how to help a kid. Not that I'm saying, and that probably just made a bunch of parents furious. I don't mean to say a child being targeted is supposed to help the child that's bullying them. That's ridiculous. But adults do need to intervene in this medically brain-informed way to say to the kid who's bullying, okay, absolutely unacceptable. Let's go and get you some help because you clearly need some help. You are in, in a very worrisome state. You're in fight mode and we need to find out why. And we need to start bringing down your stress response system because it's super unhealthy and you can't hurt other kids. And then, of course, same thing with the target. We need to help the kid that's gone into flight or freeze mode because they're being targeted in this horrible way and help them too. But it's not necessarily a moral discipline issue. It's a medical issue. Yes, Yes. I love how you distinguish between those two. And if we're handling it like a moral issue, we're not going to get to what's really going on in order to heal it. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you talk about how it's a broken system and it's the cycle of abuse. Yeah. The victim's damaged brain becomes abusive to either self or others. Yeah. And I, and that's so true. You either are imploding or exploding. Yep. And, 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 and hence why it's a cycle. And I mean, one of the things that I say, or something that I always try and keep foremost in my mind to remind myself is that hurt brains hurt. Yes. They feel pain. They hurt on the inside. If your brain is being damaged, if it's being hurt, if you've been abused, your brain is hurt and you need to start making that visual for yourself so that you have lots of self-compassion, but you need to make it visual for yourself for yourself. So you don't try to pass on that pain to someone else to try and relieve it. That's just going to create more and more of this cycle. And 
this is why, I mean, I think, I feel like the science is the key to helping all of us change the conversation and thereby change the system. I really do believe that how we handle bullying and abuse right now is very outdated. It's not up to speed, even in the law, it's not up to speed with the science. Schools aren't up to speed. And if if we started to just factor in what are the brain scientists and the doctors and the psychologists and the psychiatrists, what do they know about the brain? How can we harness that knowledge to fix the system and take way better care of ourselves and each other? Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I, I think that it's very important in order to recognize it, you know, or heal it, we have to be able to recognize it, but we tend to minimize bullying. I think even as parents, it can get very confusing because we think we're disciplining our child or our kid does something and they lash out in anger. We see this a lot uh, with tweens and teens. And the parent, then you get triggered and then you respond a certain way. And I love in the book too, you talk about yourself and you talk about how, what what happened in your family growing up and then how that was impacting how you were responding to your son. And then your son called it out. And I love (laughs) And I love that. Can you just, what are some of the things that we do that we can all become more aware of so that we're not minimizing it and we can heal it? Well, it's really, I, I love that idea of minimizing because I think what happens is we've all been raised. Most of us have been exposed to, most of us have been raised in the bullying abuse paradigm. I I doubt there's anyone out there that can raise their hand and say, wait, what is this thing you speak of? What is this abuse? What does bullying mean? I mean, we're steeped in it in society. You can just turn on and watch politics for half an hour and you can see adults in positions of prestige and power treating one another in extremely hurtful and degrading ways. And it's, there's no accountability. It's just normalized. So Imagine we've grown up in this world where we've normalized this type of behavior. We've passed it on to our children. All we ever do is talk about how there's a bullying epidemic among children. Well, where do you think they got it from? They got it from the adults in their world. So if adults aren't role modeling um, empathy and compassion and mindfulness, they are going to have very reactive children in their world. And then the worst thing that's happened in a sense, and I'm not anti-technology by any stretch, I think it has its place, but I don't think it has to dominate everything our kids do. I think it's really, really dangerous. So if you go onto something like TikTok or any of those platforms that kids really use a lot of, it is shocking, the bullying. It's just absolutely shocking. There's just, it's so unkind that it's sort of breathtaking, but from a brain point of view, it makes perfect sense. So you and I talking here, We are looking at each other. We're seeing one another's eyes, even though it's on a screen. We are face to face and we're reading each other's facial expressions and and seeing how the other is feeling. So if I started to cry or I even choked up, you would feel automatic empathy for me. The empathy neural networks in your brain would light right up. Your emotional part of your brain would light right up and it would probably occasion an impulse to compassion. How can I help you? That's very natural. Imagine kids on the internet, they don't see each other. Kids that are cyberbullying aren't getting the empathy signals from one another because they don't see each other. And the brain is completely wired for visual cues from other human beings. If you eliminate that, well, then you start to erode your empathy neural network because and your emotional centers that give you warning signs that you're actually being aggressive and harmful all of that's missing. And so you can imagine in an internet age where parents are looking in their phones 24 seven and kids are looking at their phones, we aren't doing a great job on keeping parts of our brain that are our superpowers like empathy really healthy. They're not healthy. So, and just to remind listeners, empathy is when um, you are walking in someone else's shoes. You are really trying to understand what they are thinking You're doing your best anyways. You can always check in with them to ask, but you're using a lot of your complex machinery in your brain to figure out what they're thinking, really kind of tap into what they're feeling, and then also what they're intending. 
So we were all born wired for empathy because it's how babies and children survive. If they don't know what the powerful people feel in the room, they're not going to survive. They need to figure out facial expressions, tone of voice, what do gestures mean and get really good at reading it and behave accordingly or they won't make it. So you can see by evolution, we are naturally empathic, deeply empathic beings. Well, if we've got a generation of kids that don't have empathy for each other, that's on us. That's called way too much technology, not nearly enough face-to-face caring, you know, interactive social emotional learning. And as you were saying, Cheryl, the pandemic, well, it just threw a monkey wrench in kids' lives. They went more onto the internet, not less. Wow. I've never heard anybody explain it like that. You know, hearing, oh, you know, technology, it really affects empathy, but the actual seeing the faces, being able to connect that way, and and then, you know, saying things you wouldn't say to somebody's face, it makes so much sense. Thank you for, for explaining it that way. Well, and you actually asked me, it looks like now that I look back, it's like I evaded the question. You actually asked me about my own parenting moments where I've done something and had to go (laughs) say sorry. And I somehow didn't answer that question. It's actually a great question for me because, I mean, it's one thing with your own kids where you, and I like that you said triggered because we tend to think, okay, our child behaved this way and they triggered a response in us. That's not actually how the brain works. The brain is always predicting. So you are, you are predicting that someone will, will behave or do something based on your past experience. So let's say I, I didn't come from a home where I, was, I suffered corporal punishment, but let's pretend I did just because it's an easy one to understand. So if my parents raised me with the belief that corporal punishment was going to be the way to help me learn and develop and grow and understand consequences for mistakes, um, I might do that with my children. Not only is it normalized, not only has it been, you know, wired into my brain that this is how parents behave, but when my child behaves a certain way, my natural prediction, because I go back into the file folder of the past of my life, I find corporal punishment. Now, if I grew up in a house where I never experienced that, I'm not going to find that in my file folder. So am I a wonderful parent because I never find corporal punishment in my in my past and then apply it to my child? Or am I just randomly lucky? I don't have a brain wired that way. So again, is that a moral situation right there with parents or is that a medical one? If my brain is scripted with corporal punishment, chances are really good. I'm going to predict that's the appropriate behavior for this moment. And of course, let's go back to neuroplasticity. All of us can change our brains. So if you grew up with corporal punishment and you sat down today and you read all the research on it, you would learn that it is an incredibly ineffective and incredibly harmful method of working with a child. You are never going to get the results you want because in actual fact, you're damaging the prefrontal cortex when you hit a child. And that's the part that ultimately learns how to make good decisions, weigh consequences, not be impulsive, manage emotional reaction, etc. If you want to hurt that part of the brain, great. Just know that corporal punishment is the way to do it. If you want your child to be mindful and regulated and respectful and happy and uh, able to problem solve and really think about consequences, you don't ever want to hit them because you're hurting that exact part of the brain. Okay, wait, I did it again. Let's let's go back to me and bad parenting because I've done lots. <laughs> I have done lots of bad parenting, but even worse, I've done bad teaching. So if you're a teacher for 20 years, guaranteed you have moments where you make terrible mistakes with your students. I've I've written to students apology letters. So here's a classic example. I wrote this really like kind of, it wasn't harsh, but really sort of so-and-so needs to work a lot harder on their, you know, composition. And, you know, I'd like to see a lot more effort. And, you know, the work to date hasn't been um, to the best of his ability. And the mom contacted me and she said, you do understand that my son has a learning disability and what you just said would have just broken his heart. He's trying the hardest he possibly can. He has an incredible challenge. I was just like, I'm the worst teacher on the planet. And just, I died. And I hand wrote this boy a note. And he, because kids are so forgiving, totally forgave me, gave me another chance. But you know, when you're a teacher, you do these kinds of things. And you know, you think about your kids, 
We love our kids more than life itself. Does that stop us from yelling at the top of our lungs when they scare us by doing something dangerous? No. <laughs> you know, I've had to go and apologize to my sons numerous times to say, I lost my temper. I don't know what's wrong with me. I have unbelievable stress going on here. And I just, you know, and my kids are quite funny because they're, they're pretty astute. So the little one would just say things like, that's okay, mom. I know I was just the recipient site for your anger there. And then no hard feelings. <laughs> it's just like, okay, no more psychology, you know, camps for you. It's like, <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't, I certainly, I, I, I've never met a perfect parent. It's a job that you learn on the go. It's a high stakes job. The brain learns by making mistakes. You got to forgive yourself when you make mistakes because that's how you learn to be better. That's how you strengthen desired neural networks. And same with our kids. Our kids aren't making mistakes because they're trying to drive us crazy. They're learning. That's how the brain learns. When you make a mistake, when you fail, that is a brain in action. And you just need to coach and correct because, and, and also be compassionate about it because the second you humiliate someone for making a mistake, they're not going to take any more risks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I just really like how you were saying the different ways that we can respond. And the, one of the things that you were talking about, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is just even you grew up, maybe it was like, you know, it was more withdrawing and just not talking about it. And the tension, I forget exactly what what words you used, but we can give the silent treatment and we can think that's okay. But how now I love how you're aware of that and you share what you're frustrated about. You share, like you said, when you're feeling stress. So you're including your kids and what's going on with you rather than reverting back to some of the things you learned growing up. And I thought there's a lot of um, hope in that for us that we can we can change once we can see it that this can be really harmful to our kids when we resort back to those things. So, yeah, I mean, you use the perfect word by saying reverting because really that's a brain thing. You're you're looking back in the file folder from the past, and the default neural network tells you, oh yeah, misbehavior or my child called me on something and it it embarrassed me or shamed me and I'm going to punish them now by silent treatment. That's how I was treated. That's just a default. But as parents, we can all be mindful and we can try and create some space between the stimulus, the child embarrassed me and response. How am I going to respond now? Do the deep breathing and really give yourself a moment to say, what is, what is the best thing? And, you know, we have a tendency in society to understand that something physical, like a striking out is very, very harmful and hurtful. We just talked about corporal punishment. It is very harmful. But giving a child the silent treatment is equally harmful. It doesn't leave a mark on the body, but it definitely leaves, uh, it could leave a neurological scar on the brain. It's not healthy at all. It's one of the worst things you can do to a kid because going back to evolution, children's brains are wired for connection. If the powerful people that they love and depend on, are totally dependent on, if those powerful people withdraw, it communicates to the brain that the brain is in jeopardy. It is in grave danger. It might not survive. That's just as bad as being face-to-face -face with a predator from the brain point of view. Because if you get ostracized and put outside the family cave, even if it's just by parental silence and withdrawing, for the brain, that's a full-on massive stress response. And when the brain is super stressed out, and panicking, it pumps the body full of cortisol and adrenaline. And cortisol, in, in small doses, when you need to run away from a predator, or you need to freeze so the predator doesn't see you, or you need to fight the predator, that it's great to have tons of cortisol coursing through your system. It's, a, it's, a, it's powerful. But in the 21st century, cortisol is getting tripped up in our kids over and over and over again. In fact, it's not even dying down properly like it should. It's staying in the system and it does damage to the body and the blood, the blood vessels, and it does quite amazing damage to the brain. So we need to get 
to a point as a society where we teach our kids about cortisol, we teach all our parents and teachers and coaches and everybody about it. And we work really hard that when we get ramped up into stress, we have all kinds of techniques to bring ourselves right back down again and communicate to our brain. Be very, you use your mind to say, you know what, brain, I got this. There's no danger here. My mom's having a really bad day. We're just going to leave her alone. She needs some quiet time. She'll come around as she always does, but we're safe. We're completely safe. Let's do something that we like to do, like exercise or meditation or playing with our friends and, until everything's you know back on track. You can talk to your brain like that. You can put your mind in the driver's seat and keep the brain as the power of the engine, but never let the brain be in the driver's seat because it doesn't know. It doesn't know. Yeah, which leads me to what do we do? Like how can... How can we help our kids? Because there's a lot of listeners that have kids that are being bullied, have been bullied, um, aren't even wanting to go to school. And what would you say to that parent that's listening that's in that place? Well, the first thing that I think they need to do is, and of course, they've probably already done this, is let their kid know that the hurt that they feel or the harm that they feel is, is serious and understood and there's there's no denying it. It just is. And when someone is aggressive like that and they they target you, it can feel horrible. But then I would say to the kids, you know what, though? The person who's in real trouble, the person who's really suffering is the kid that's doing that to you. And then mm-hmm. explain to them why. So say to your kid, when you go to school, what do you start looking for? Get them to answer. Get them to engage with you. What do you look for when you get to school? You look for your friends. You look for something fun to do. You look for a challenge on the playground. Maybe you're in the locker-lined hallway. You look for, if we're talking older kids, you look for um, classes to learn in because you're starting to think about your career and you're excited. You, you're certain subjects at school you love more than life itself. But that's what you're doing. Okay, now let's think about the kid who's bullying. What do they do when they get to school? They are so traumatized that they aren't looking for friends. They're not looking for fun. They're not looking for learning. They're not looking for their career. They're looking for a target because they are so empty. They are so incomplete. They are so traumatized that they they can't actually function without you. They need you. They're desperate. So they are trying to find you and they're trying to create an event around you. That's how much they need you because they're incomplete. They need you and they are essentially creating a kind of fake community around their aggression. And they're showing how powerful they are because actually they don't have any power. Whatever's going on in their life has stripped them of natural, comfortable, confident, healthy power. It's missing. They know it. And they're going to use you to act out a bunch of fake power in front of a a traumatized group of kids that are watching or participating or benefiting from this, this display. And basically, you you need to feel awfully sad for that kid because the kid is waving a big red flag and written on that red flag is, I'm on the path towards mental illness. I'm on the path towards the criminal justice system. I'm not on the path towards confidence, happiness, health, mental health, or a fulfilling career. I feel sad for that kid. I know you're being targeted and it hurts, but at least you're not that child. And the teacher should be alerted immediately that there's a child in danger, a child in trauma, a child demonstrating mental illness. But that's not you. You just want to have fun, play with your friends, learn stuff at school. It's the kid that's doing that behavior. And the teacher should be alerted because they need help. Yeah. Because they're a bad kid. They are a traumatized kid. And what needs to be figured out is what's going on in that child's life and how can that family be supported? There's something serious going on. Yeah. You know, as a kid, I was, and I can like get choked up right in the moment, even sharing it where I was just bullied by this kid every day when I got on the bus, it was just horrible. I mean, would bully, bully, bully. Years later, I found out that his, his dad was hitting him all the time. Of course. And he was, he was being abused in his home. Of course. And, um, 
And, you know, to also to think about it wasn't my fault because I think when you're bullied, I, the message I was getting is why, what's wrong with me believing what he was telling me to be true and internalizing that. And what I like about what you're saying is, is getting our kids to think about it's not you. This is something wrong with this kid. He's traumatized. And what can you focus on in your day that's going to be good rather than, you know, it's like being more proactive versus reactive and everything becomes about the bully. Um, Yeah, just. Well, it's, um, you know, the other thing for kids to know that I think is really important is we have a tendency to, to teach them that the bully has power over them. Well, that's absolutely not true. Bullies don't have any power. They're the least powerful people out there or they wouldn't be behaving that way. Um, so I think the we need to change the way we talk about it. We talk about power imbalance between kids that bully and kids that are targets. What power imbalance? There's huge power imbalance between adults and children. So that kid's dad that's beating him, that's a power imbalance. He's trying to, he's trying to navigate, how do I level the playing field? I'm going to get really aggressive with someone that I've found that is going to mirror back to me so I can survive another day in that house. I'm going to get them to mirror back to me something bigger, stronger, better, right? That's all you're being doing is sort of forced to act out their script. They put you in the play. Well, why did they select you for the role in the play? Oftentimes, they will just randomly find something that maybe makes you stand out or maybe makes you different that they can hone in on. And as soon as you show a sign of like, oh, I guess I feel bad about that or that's different about me. The second that happens, then you're locked, stuck together. You're in the you're in the play. You're in the drama. But oftentimes kids will choose someone who has what they want. For all you know, he saw that you came from a happy family. He saw your parents give you a kiss as you got on the bus. He saw your big brother put his arm around you and help you up up the stairs into the bus. You had everything he wanted. You had friends. You had athleticism, you had smarts, you had sense of humor, you had something cool and different about you. You were from a different place. Who knows? But that kid, whatever it is, they need something from you. They are hungry for it. And as soon as you start to feed them, well, then, then they connect with you in that way. And they'll, they'll sometimes cast a bit of a net to find out who's going who's gonna to take the shame pose that makes me feel big, right? As soon as you do this, again, it's the brain. The brain is saying, Put your eyes down, hunch your body, and you'll communicate to the predator that you are um, not a threat. You're not even going to look them in the eye. Like, you know, you don't look a dog in the eye if it's being very aggressive. You don't look a predator, kid, bully, adult in the eye either. That's what the shame position is for. And it's your brain trying to keep you safe. It's always trying to keep you safe. But that's maybe not the best position to take with a bully. You look them straight in the eye and go, I feel so sad for you gosh, you are being driven by some kind of unholy pain. Let's go together. Let's get an adult and see if we can get you some of the help you need. I, I, are you okay? Do you, I don't think you'd keep being bullied. If you publicly said to the bully, wow, you're manifesting mental illness. This aggressive behavior is like not tolerated at all in society. And I mean, look at you. Are you okay? Let's get you some help. Maybe let's go tell the bus driver. Yeah. I mean, what a different, like having that, being able to say that, like having scripts ready to be able to say that, like, what's wrong with you uh, that you're behaving this way? Let's get you some help. Yeah. Don't you have any friends? Where are your friends? Let's get some kids around you to have some fun with you. Poor thing. Yeah. But I mean, the, the tragedy is that kid's being beaten at home. That's the tragedy. You don't get on the school bus. Looking for a target, unless you've got real trouble. Yeah. So, I mean, I sort of say some of those things, you know, to to bolster up the power and the energy of the kid that gets targeted because it's terrible. But usually, you know, it's a red flag. Kid needs help. Yeah, and how powerful that would have been if, at the time, my mom she just didn't know, like, to teach me to be able to say, "Let's think of some things you could say back." To, to him, some good comebacks so that you don't, because I was like, you're, you know, looking down and, 
crying and he, he, all those things, he hit me exactly on those things that brought shame. And so I was a good target, but I didn't know what to say back. So empowering our kids. Yeah. yeah. Because, because that boy has no power. Why are you giving your power away to that kid? That kid's got nothing on you. He's now, you see, this was the difference when, when I started to look at bullying, I started to look at adults and adults in positions of trust and power over children. Now that's a lot of power. If you're a teacher or a coach, you tell the kid what their value is. You assign a grade to them that says what their value is. You open and close doors for them in their future opportunities. That's power. You get to say what their character is. You get to be a spokesperson to other people and their parents about who they are as an individual. That is colossal power. Now, no kid has that, but we keep talking about children bullying as if they're these powerful beings. They are not. They're aggressive and they're aggressive because there's something wrong. Yeah. That's so good, Jennifer. So what what can we do? You share um, in the book some things that we can do and not just helping our kids, but also ourselves to not continue this cycle to heal. Yeah, I mean, I really constructed the book. Yeah, did I cut you off? No, no, I cut you off. A few of, (laughs) what are uh, just a few of like the, the top ones? Yeah. So, I mean, I constructed the book, even in the tough chapters at the beginning, where I'm talking about very specifically what the science tells us, all forms of bullying and abuse due to the brain. I still am building in action steps every step of the way. They're evidence-based about what we can do. And there's an enormous amount of things we can do, inexpensive. That's not a quick fix. It's like getting in shape. It's as hard as getting in shape. When you start out, you know, you feel clumsy. You don't feel it's, it makes your lungs hurt. If you're doing aerobic exercise, your heart beats fast. You, you just don't feel your muscles hurt. You want to stop getting your brain back in shape, like really, uh, working hard to replace outdated neural networks with new ones that are healthier and happier and more high performing. It's hard work. It takes months. It's not going to be like a quick fix, but the book is full of all kinds of, um, practices we can do that the neuroscientists know all about that really improve how we behave, how we feel and what we do. And yeah, so, I mean, I think we don't have time to get into the science right now, but the science is very empowering and very inspiring. It's, it's like a guidebook on, Hey, okay. The the guys in the lab know all this stuff. Um, Why don't we start applying it to our lives? Why don't we, why don't we teach it to our kids? Why can, why don't our kids know anything about their brains? Just like we don't know anything about our brains. Can you imagine if we taught children what's going on in a bullying brain and what's going on in a target's brain and what's going on in bystander brains? That should be curriculum, kindergarten. Let's go. Let's learn about these really destructive behaviors and all the things we can do to address them. You know, that would be so powerful to be able to do that and understand it. And like, what, why am I even doing this? Why am I being a bully, you know, to, to raise the awareness starting when they're young? Well, I mean, you know, we're so able to understand this with animals. So if I came in uh, to meet with you and I had a dog, a very scary dog, and it had a big, huge harness on it and a big choke chain. And I had a super thick leash. And I said to you, yeah, I'm retraining this dog. It's, it's an abused dog. It comes from a lot of uh, neglect and violence. And you'd be looking at that dog going, oh boy, I hope she doesn't let it anywhere off its leash because it probably will go straight into attack mode. But you would have no problem understanding that that dog, that aggressive, scary, um, threatening dog didn't get that way by accident. That dog was beaten into being that type of uh, manifestation of its behavior. Same thing with the human being. You got that boy who's going after you every single day. You got to know there's something wrong. Why we aren't going and finding out and getting that child the help that he needs, I do not know. Yeah, yeah. So good, Jennifer. Well, I would love for parents to get your book. It's so good. Caregivers, teachers, whoever's listening to this that is in a child's life, um, tell them where to find you and um, where to find your book and all of that. And I'll share the links too. 
Um, so my website is Bullied Brain. And then I use that as my social media handle now for everything. So the title of the book is The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. You can buy it pretty much anywhere. But if if you buy it on Amazon, um, that's easy. And yeah, it's just um, people say it's a page turner on neuroscience and they didn't expect that. And it's it's really it's for the general reader. The science, it, it's all evidence based and it's all there, but it's not overwhelming. It doesn't it doesn't make you feel like you're reading science. You feel like the science is there and then it applies so powerfully to our lives. So yeah, and I have a, you can contact me on my website. It's full of resources, like tons of interviews and articles. I write for Psychology Today, a regular blog called Bully Brain. And I try to share, you know, sort of smaller bits and pieces of things that I think would help all of us know um, you know, know how to treat each other better if we knew more about our brains. And so there's the, there's that as well. And um, I also write a blog kind of for myself called How I Became an Unlikely Whistleblower because I ended up uh, I ended up in this situation where I ultimately went to national news. It was just such an incredible crisis. But I'm not a whistleblower type. And so I became quite fascinated in what makes somebody do that. Why Why would you speak up? Why would you call out, you know, abuse in the way that I did and uh, just interested me. So people that are interested in that, that kind of idea of speaking up and why and what does it mean in society, there's that as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much for writing this book, for all the work that you're doing. And I really feel like we're you're going to make a humongous difference in this area to be able to help us and help our kids. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Well, that's it for today. And thank you, friend, for joining me. And if you have not signed up for our Parenting Reboot, where we're going to be talking all about how to build that connection and communication with your tweens and teens, I highly recommend that you go to momsoftweensandteens.com forward slash reboot and you get on the wait list. It is going to be March 14th, 15th, and 16th. It is free. It's a three-day workshop series and it is going to be so, so helpful if you want to improve your communication and learn better ways of connecting and communicating with your tweens and teens, you are going to want to join us. So I am super excited to be able to lead this three day. It's one of my favorite things to do. I get to personally connect with you and we're all about me too. And you're going to walk away with some really helpful tools, understanding of your tween and teen and how to build a strong relationship with them, as well as how to better support them to thrive. So momsoftweensandteens.com forward slash reboot, and I hope you will sign up today. Well, until next time, have a great week, and I will see you back here soon. Mm